0: This week's podcast is brought to you by the Center for Congregational Health. At the center, we believe God has called and empowered congregations to change the world. For 25 years, center consultants, coaches, and educators have been supporting congregations, clergy, and lay leaders as they meet the ongoing challenges of congregational life, including training ministers to manage transition, helping congregations work through polarizing conflict, coaching clergy to discover and utilize their gifts for ministry, and assisting congregations in discerning God's call to future missions and ministry. Center consultants and coaches don't dispense expert advice. Instead, they recognize the uniqueness of each congregation and work to create the space needed for God's people to discern and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Please visit our website, healthychurch.org, to learn more about the center and find help you need in order to thrive in missions and ministry. This is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Church Starts Conversation. We are bringing you stories from across the fellowship and interviews of people doing groundbreaking work of partnering together and renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from church starters, pastors, and practitioners. This is Andy Hale. On today's episode, we'll feature Stephen Reeves, CVF Associate Coordinator for Partnerships and Advocacy. Stephen works alongside many of our vast partners who are doing amazing work in renewing God's world. Hey, just a reminder, a few opportunities ongoing with the New Church Start initiative. Our primary goal is to create space for discernment. We do this through a free online cohort experience where participants engage with 8 to 12 other participants from all around the country who are also discerning a call to church starting. Spend a lot of time in personal reflection, spiritual reflection, and group conversations around the dynamics and basics of New Church Starts. If you're interested in joining one of our upcoming cohorts, be sure to email ahale at cbf.net. Man, how can I make fun of the Texas Longhorns? Would that be a good way to start? Negative. Uh, or the Cowboys. We could start there.
1: Yeah, I'm, that's, that's not as sensitive to me. I barely care about the NFL.
0: Oh, well, then we should focus on the Longhorns then.
1: Don't, yeah, don't, don't go after the Houston Oilers, though, man. That's still a sore spot. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's good to know, especially since the Texans aren't going anywhere.
1: Yeah, I, ain't, I don't care about the Texans hardly.
0: Well, I guess if anybody was eavesdropping in on our conversation today, they would know that this is probably the most important thing happening in the fellowship today. Would you agree?
1: Uh, Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, Well, Stephen, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Andy. I appreciate it. Yeah.
0: Now, you've been with CBF for a little over three years now. Is that correct?
1: Correct. I started in October of 2013.
0: And back before that, though, you were in Texas doing advocacy work. Is that right?
1: That's right. I was a legislative counsel and then public policy director for the Christian Life Commission, which is part of the Baptist General Convention of Texas. And I was in Austin, primarily working at the legislature there as a as a lobbyist.
0: All right. If you give me just a second, I'm going to actually go get my um, my legal dictionary so I can make sure to keep up with you as you're throwing out all these terms, and I'm already lost right.
1: Yeah, very necessary. Either a legal dictionary or a uh, guide to all Baptist
0: acronyms. (laughs) (laughs) Now, um, I find your story to be very fascinating. Um, You know, a lot of people go to school for that long to be a lawyer. Um, They're... First choice is probably not to work for a nonprofit organization, <laughs> and advocate work for um, for so many different groups around the country, and in, in establishing and building partnerships, um, not just with those organizations, but with the many congregations that are part of the fellowship. So, why was it advocacy for you, and not big shot lawyer in the heart of Austin, Texas?
1: Well, I think, first, I was fortunate enough to grow up in a CBF-connected church, uh, very very involved in church, very passionate about the things that CBF uh, folks are passionate about, had a great experience with Southwest Baptist Youth Camp, which connected me to a lot of CBF churches in Texas and Oklahoma and Louisiana, Arkansas, that part of the country, and went to law school very much with justice-type issues at heart and at mind. I would say both including uh, First Amendment and religious liberty and taking very seriously uh, a separation of church and state and how that's important and what that really means. Uh, and also uh, a lot of focus on civil rights and uh, what you might call social justice. And so went to law school with that in mind and that's that was wonderful. Law school was a great experience, but um, when for a lot of folks coming out of law school, that's not the type of things they go into, <laughs> whether it's, uh, insurance defense or or uh, prosecution or criminal defense, I, I really didn't have in mind kind of the Perry Mason type law, uh, uh, criminal law, or big corporate law. And I was really fortunate uh, after having a good experience and be, being passionate about certain issues to find my way to the Christian Life Commission in Austin. And um, this was back in the early 2000s, had the opportunity Opportunity to work with Phil Strickland and Weston Ware, along with Susie Painter, I was introduced to very committed Christian folks, Baptist folks, um, who wanted to apply that faith to public life, to public policy, to your Monday through Friday life. And so I had the experience of walking the, call, the halls in the Capitol and um, putting my advocacy skills to practice and to work um, on behalf of others and to help uh, pastors and other church members understand that problem. So with sensitivity um, but really not for their own benefit or for their own um, out of their own self-interest but on behalf of others and that that felt like a calling to me that's where i really felt at home and so um, i've been fortunate to kind of find my way in that same sort of uh, sphere since then. And I'm, I'm very blessed. Uh, there are a lot of people who, um, who would love to have my job, who think that <laughs> I, what I do is, is a lot of fun. And it is, and I'm passionate about it. And I'm fortunate for sure.
0: Mm. Just so we're clear, you did make a reference to the 1950s and 1960s TV show Perry Mason. Was that,
1: yeah, that was, uh, and so I'm sure all your listeners w- watched it, watched them all live.
0: Right, uh, you, uh, so that's the number so. one show streamed on Netflix. I uh, I made a uh, Matlock, like, reference uh, this past <laughs> Sunday, and, you know, the look on everybody's face, like, half of it was like, who is Matlock? The other people were like, <laughs> why is that even relevant? Like, did he write this sermon in the, in the 1990s? So. I guess
1: I should have said law and order or something like that, but for whatever <laughs> reason, I don't know if it was the first, uh, first... TV show of its kind, but people still fall back on Perry Mason, and, and most folks know who you're talking about. Yeah.
0: It's, it's good to know Texas is up to date with the TV show, so. <laughs> yes,
1: it's <laughs> gotten past Perry Mason.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, I think one of the challenging aspects of, of advocacy um, is for pastors speaking to their local congregations about um, uh, economic and social injustice happening, and I think probably one of the most challenging things about that, especially if you're in a large congregation kind of a downtown or suburban area, it might be, you have some lay leaders. It might be, you have some congregates that are business owners that are people, I guess, living out that injustice. So, so what's the balance there? How do you speak to that? I mean, how do pastors come around those types of issues?
1: Yeah, that's a great point. I think you're right that, um, especially in CBF life that, um, we have a real diversity within our pews. And so whether it's, uh, you know, business interests or certainly ideological and political identity, there's going to be a, a wide variety. I think our churches really are purple in the political parlance. They're not all one thing, liberal or progressive and or conservative and that sort of thing. And so it, it does take a sensitivity. I think for a pastor, first and foremost, you start with scripture. Um, you t- You take it out of maybe... Uh, the the direct application initially uh, and start with scripture and start with putting putting into context uh, what we're called to do by Jesus in the Gospels and, and how it speaks so very clearly to a lot of uh, what is current in our society. that A lot of the issues haven't changed. Um, and then second, I would say what we're really encouraging folks to do is not to kind of react so much to the political moment as to the local missions, passion, and engagement of the congregation. So um, not to, you know, turn on Fox News or MSNBC and, and jump in on one side of the other a political debate, but what's going on down the street? What is the church already engaged with? And then lead with that. Talk about um, Joe, who comes to the food pantry, or um, a kid that somebody mentors in the local school they've adopted. Uh, There's any number of examples that you take it to the personal, you personalize it and you attach a story of a real person that the church has already been in ministry with um, and start there.
0: Well, that shouldn't be a challenge for ministers because Jesus almost like never in the Gospels hit on any justice issues, especially, you know, Luke 4 or pretty much all of the parables or, you know, even turning over the tables in the temple that had nothing to do with economic or social or religious.
1: Yeah, exactly right. Um, and, and so it's it's really easy just to kind of read the Bible and just, you know, it's, it's so easy to understand that, that it's all um, just individualistic and not says nothing about, People's current uh, situation,
0: right? Health, health, and wealth. Uh,
1: yeah, honestly, the more um, you dig into the gospels and what Jesus had to say, the more uh, to me I see um, the uh, emphasis on the system, and especially in their context, a Roman system that they're you know occupied, uh, and and what how the the subversive ways that he said and he taught us to to highlight the injustice in the system and it's uh it's you know one of those things that you can obviously study your whole life and see see new aspects of and so um it's, it's certainly a challenge to speak to that side of things in our current um, church and political context but i think it's what we're called to do hmm.
0: presenting jesus as an insurrectionist um certainly is a is a challenge for pastors but it's a necessary one it's one of the attributes of Christ um,
1: especially you know in if you're speaking to you know folks who pretty much benefit from the current situation and so um, they're on maybe they're in your example of business owners you know they're they're doing just fine under the current system and so how do we just encourage folks you know and we're not saying you know um, that to, to overthrow the government, but we're saying okay let 's put ourselves in somebody else 's shoes let's um, let 's look at this from a different perspective and take our own um, standing, our own voice, our own privilege, our own political power or access, and put it to work on behalf of someone else and alongside those folks
0: mm. it's definitely um, it's definitely a challenge for ministers, especially. Uh, in a day and age where uh, you have your convictions and you have your theology, uh, but then you also have uh, churches that are all too willing to say, oh, okay, well, that's your opinion. You, you can go on your merry way. Um, I, I served in a congregation uh, before, well before Mosaic, and it was a challenge for me because we used to provide uh, food vouchers for um, people in need to come to us, and they would then go to the local food pantry that we helped support. And some of the people would also come in, and they, you know, wanted reimbursement for power bills that were just absolutely astronomical. Mm-hmm. And come to find out, they're they're renting uh, trailers, they're renting uh, these homes from <laughs> members of our congregation, and it's it's matters of things like simply replacing windows or actually having good um, sealant, uh, you know, in various places of the home, where all of a sudden these these people are paying, you know, paying over a couple months, you know, several if not a thousand dollars in the power bill. And it's like, how do you, how do you speak to that? Um, yeah.
1: I think that's a, a great example of the sort of thing that's just below the surface. Uh, sometimes in our mission work, when you, you know, instead of just handing out, you kind of ask the additional question, what's going on? And then you find out um, the situation. And then you might, that might point to systematic problems on the one hand, or it could point to um, business practices and uh, ethics of, of the industries folks are in. And so that is definitely uh, a challenge. And I think in a number of situations, I think it's a lack of the church speaking to the Monday through Friday existence of folks, uh, speaking to uh, how to be a Christian in business and what does that look like uh, that has led to this bifurcation where, you do your Sunday thing and you do Monday through Friday and those two shouldn't really overlap. And I think that's very dangerous. And it's really why the previous organization I worked for the Christian life commission was established to talk about living the Christian life um, in a beyond Sunday type capacity.
0: Hmm. Seem to be an expert in this area. Have you ever thought about like doing advocacy for your living?
1: You know, I've spent a few hours thinking about that, uh, and we'll see. I don't know. We'll, hopefully, uh, it, it might work out.
0: Might might play out. Um, you, you hit on a great point uh, that I want to go back to, uh, and that is, you know, getting our local congregations involved. Sometimes uh, it comes down to hearing stories and experiencing those stories. You know, um, many congregations um, experience ministry through providing for another organization to to do ministry instead of hands on ministry, the, the really, um, I guess, getting your hands dirty, uh, relational type ministry that we see within the gospels. Um, but you know, something you said is that the transformation begins to come when you, you know, that person, you have a, a name with the face of injustice and, uh, happening in, in the area. So what are some practical ways you've seen congregations get to know the stories and the people of their community?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think, um, your example of somebody coming uh, to the church for essentially benevolence funds for help with a light bill, uh, in my experience, has led to advocacy uh, on uh, things like predatory lending, which is something that uh, CBF has highlighted early on our advocacy efforts, and it's something I've been working on for a number of years, and it was, in that case, just asking the additional question, well, why can't you afford that light bill? Well, maybe it's outrageous because of the living conditions, but maybe it's because they're paying every two weeks on a $700 loan and not reducing what they owe because it's got a 600% interest rate, (laughs) you know, so I think start by when they do have the encounter asking the extra extra question. I think I've seen um, there's some great work going on around public education uh, around churches who might have for years kind of partnered with a local elementary school to provide mentors or reading coaches or, you know, volunteers, then saying, okay, that's wonderful, but what's going on in public education in our state? Let's sit down with the principal. Let's talk to the superintendents. Let's see how we can um, take that extra step and, and do something a little bit different. Um, I think uh, the there's so much focus on food ministries that um, folks can, can see what's going on when it comes to hunger policy. Uh, and SNAP benefits, and how do those things impact what folks are able to access? Um, I think some people have been awoken to the ideas of, you know, food deserts. Well, in some parts of town, it's way easier to get fresh and healthy food than it is in other parts of town, and so I think it's, um, you know, continuing to do the ministries that the church has done and has felt passionate about, you know, Habitat for Humanity, and what does that say about housing um, affordability and that sort of thing but then also one maybe trying to go a little deeper uh, into those relationships and and get to know the stories and two that the congregation that the leadership or the the congregants themselves feel empowered and authorized and at home with looking at larger issues of justice. And so I think that is something that we hope to help congregations navigate to where they can kind of feel empowered that, okay, um, this isn't, you know, quote unquote politics. This isn't, you know, um, what side do you fall on the political divide? This is how do we impact our community at large in an even uh, bigger way, possibly.
0: Uh, CBF is obviously um, built on on partnerships Um, I think which is one of the beautiful aspects of this fellowship is that we don't have to do it on our own we don't have to create it Um, we find and support other people who are doing it Um, so what are some ways uh, CBF's involved with advocacy what are some of uh, the partnerships we've established
1: Yeah, that's a great question I think uh, first and foremost uh, while kind of my position with the, with CBF and a larger emphasis on advocacy as a word is um, fairly new, um, being an advocate for the most neglected, marginalized, and vulnerable people in the world has been at the heart of what CBF does, particularly in Global Missions, since the very beginning. So I want you want to hear me say this is not new. Um, and... Um, our field personnel around the world have been amazing examples of uh, being advocates for the communities and the individuals that they minister to from the beginning. So those have all that's always been there. In addition, there have been a few very key partnerships for a number of years around advocacy. I would say the first and foremost is the Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty and their work in Washington, D.C., We've been supporting them since the very beginning of CBF and they do amazing work on the issue of religious liberty and church state separation from a very traditional Baptist viewpoint that that's a good thing for both the church and the state um, from both in the first amendment, the establishment clause, the no establishment clause and the free exercise clause. So the work of the BJC has certainly been a, a very important partner. In addition, bread for the world has been a partner for CBF for a number of years, and they do amazing work primarily around hunger, both global and domestic, but they are doing a great job, I think, lately of also addressing issues that impact hunger. So, uh, issues of criminal justice and how folks, uh, after they serve their time to get out of the system, may not be eligible uh, for certain benefits, and that leads to hunger. Uh, issues of immigration and why folks uh, leave their country and seek to live here in the United States and how you know they may or may not be eligible for certain things. So that, that contributes to hunger. So I would point out those two organizations as partners that have been long, historic and key partnerships for CBF. Uh, in addition, we've established in the last several years um, important kind of coalition partners where we come to the table and agree to work on something together, even when we may not agree on a lot of other things, um, but we can focus together on on an area of agreement. And those sort of coalitions have been growing for CPF. And I think that's just something that uh, national religious organizations do together. Most denominations, most conventions, most large national organizations uh, have folks um, on staff who look at the public witness aspect of, of their organization and and find ways they can partner with other organizations um, to work together toward a common goal. And so those coalition partnerships are also increasing for CPS.
0: For many of our congregations, obviously um, they support um, fellowship financially. Uh, They're involved with many of our field personnel and, and maybe they even contribute to some of these great organizations you're talking about what are some practical ways that um, our congregations can get involved in the work of advocacy, whether with these partners or uh, identifying other partners in their area who are doing great work?
1: I think that last thing you mentioned is very important as um, a congregation might come to the realization that they want to be more involved in this sort of work. I think they first want to do some sort of assessment of the missions, passion of the church. What are the things the church has already cared about, that we, like we spoke about earlier, that might lead to advocacy opportunities, and then to, I would say, start with other organizations in their location, in their town or city that um, work on those things, and so not to be afraid, obviously, to get outside the church walls and to establish relationships with folks within organizations that maybe they're not even Baptist, maybe they're not even Christian, um, but maybe there's expertise there, Um, Whether it's mental health or hunger or housing or transportation, um, just start having uh, calling folks up and having meetings. I think um, that's one thing that some congregations have realized that if you say you're a pastor or a deacon or a Sunday school teacher or a leader in a church and that your congregation is interested in helping on a certain issue, people are going to want to talk with you. And so I think that's important: being willing to to establish those relationships. Um, we have a partnership right now, very specifically with the Wilshire Baptist Church in Dallas, uh, and they have a, a young minister on staff, uh, Katie Murray, who is has helped the last several years to walk this, walk that church through this process. That they, as part of a kind of a strategic plan and strategic vision for the church, they wanted to increase the advocacy uh, opportunities for their members and so she's kind of helped walk them through that process and so what we're working on now is what has she learned what has that congregation learned uh, that can be um, promoted or replicated throughout this the fellowship so maybe what what did uh, Sunday school materials were helpful what kind of meetings what kind of book studies what kind of issues uh, did they look at that have helped move the congregation along. And so that's something we want to, in the coming uh, years, promote throughout the fellowship to say, okay, this this can be difficult. There are there are pitfalls. Let us uh, help you along the way and let's learn from what our what their congregations have done.
0: Yeah, that's great. I mean, when you, you think about it, um, we have a tendency to forget what, I guess for lack of better terms, what got us to the top of the hill, you know, and then we expect other people to get exactly where we are in the process. Um, I, I think sometimes that's a challenge of, of ministry that, you know, we uh, have the benefit of thinking theologically seven days a week and our congregations who are busy with their lives and their work and their families don't have that uh, benefit as well. And so I love the idea of helping people get there, you know, uh, yep. here's how you, here's how you build, here's how you take the steps, you know, um, that's, that's brilliant work.
1: And I think it's important for for CBF that we're not prescriptive. We're not saying here is the issue you have to take on. Um, We will at times highlight uh, certain issues and tell the story of congregations individuals who become passionate about issues and educate folks on certain issues when there's an opportunity for real impact. But above all else we want to be a resource to say here's how you go about if you care about that and you want to do something about that here are some suggestions uh, and that's important because uh, especially as CBF is constructed, you know, we're not, uh, we do not pass resolutions. So we're not looking to write a very beautiful resolution and get everyone feel like they're either on the right side of the wrong side of that. Let's vote on it. And the majority goes. Uh, that is somewhat the experience that many churches came out of um, in the Southern Baptist convention. And that's not where we're headed. I would uh, say that is uh, Passing resolutions trying to find the quote-unquote right side of an issue is not where we want to go. We would much rather be um, uh, uh, Helpful for folks to find and engage their passion where they are and then um, And then help connect them uh, to other organizations and possibly to a national effort. Um, And I'd rather have uh, as someone leading advocacy, I'd rather have You know a dozen or two dozen very passionate and engaged folks Uh, pastors or otherwise on an issue that are willing to answer the call, willing to do something than a beautifully worded resolution that nobody pays attention to.
0: So what you're saying is that we're not going to have like an advocate driven church book that's going to come out in the next couple of years for CBF.
1: Uh, I don't know what you mean by church book, but uh, yeah, there's not going to be a set of prescribed positions that all churches must uh, sign on to. Otherwise they are no longer CBF. That ain't the way we're going (laughs) to
0: (laughs) work. That's awesome. Um, Well, um, of course, big name guests uh, like Stephen Reeves, we have to go to our, our network to see if people have questions they want to ask you. And so we had a couple questions submitted that I think are very timely for uh, not only this interview, but what's happening Uh, in the country. Uh, The first question uh, that was asked was, um, what advocacy efforts are being planned for the future um, around immigration, uh, I guess, around um, the current refugee crisis? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, As I just stated, you know, we want to be responsive and not um, try and mandate issues. But as things happen, as uh, issues arise in the fellowship, we want to we want to be responsive and uh, help folks out. Certainly, um, we have started out um, with this issue around predatory lending, because as I came to CBF, I realized that it wasn't just churches in Texas that were uh, concerned and active on that, but it was churches in Missouri and Kentucky and Alabama and Louisiana. So there seemed to be some consensus around that. Um, I think the same can be said for immigration and refugees in the current situation. And so, um, you know, this sort of ministry to these communities and populations here domestically has been, uh, I would say a hallmark of CBF's global missions efforts. And so we, we, we have to be responsive to the current moment. And so we, we have um, over the last several years kind of quietly cultivated a, a group of folks that we knew cared about this. Um, and, you know, initially our hope was that this would turn into advocacy for some comprehensive immigration reform. Uh, that moment has not come. Instead, where we find ourselves, particularly in the last few weeks since the ex- new executive orders have come down, is a place of um, trying to um, help folks not be deported, particularly when they're going to um, break up families, particularly when they've grown up here. And so we are in the process really of, of discerning uh, the way to highlight that issue within the fellowship and the way to make a difference. Where can we actually? encourage folks to be advocates to lend their voice that might change the outcome there and so that's That's difficult on the one hand because of the politics at play uh, But I think it is so essential both because of our ministry uh, and our history and global missions and because of the clear call for scripture from scripture on on how uh, we are to treat the stranger and the immigrant and the refugee Um, that is of all the issues I've worked on throughout the years that's maybe one of the clearest straight from scripture. And so we're going to be uh, continuing to highlight that. And um, I know right now, uh, here at this time, uh, there has been a bipartisan bill called the Bridge Act that's been introduced in both the new House and Senate, so already signed onto by Republicans and Democrats, which would um, prevent deportation of the DACA students that deferred action uh, for childhood arrivals. So the, the kids that were brought here very young and this country's all they've known. They've stayed out of trouble. They've been in school, they've done well. Um, under the previous administration, they signed up for um, kind of a deferred action, a, a non-deportation agreement. And uh, there are a lot of folks that are worried that precisely because they've given all their information to the, to the government that now they're gonna be targets for deportation, and so it's it's encouraging that there's already bipartisan legislation to address that. And so, as um, things get settled in the new Congress, I think that's a place where we're going to be able to direct folks uh, to. Um, the other thing I think uh, there seems to already be interest in is actual sanctuary. Actually, how can our churches be a place of sanctuary and refuge for folks that are uh, under the immediate threat of deportation, and which would result in you know either them being sent to a country they never remember, or their their families being broken up, and so those are very real uh, possibilities for um, for Im- for the immigration um, advocacy efforts come yeah.
0: It's a very beautiful thing to see uh, the followers of Christ living out the black and white message of the gospel, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, I've experienced this recently um, through leadership of our lay leaders in our congregation getting connected with Mark and Kim Wyatt, CBF field personnel and uh, the Raleigh-Durham area. And we had the opportunity to go to prepare their welcome house for families that are coming in um, uh, just to see the simple ways of $50 worth of groceries that will provide these families three to four weeks worth of food. Um, you know, finding furniture that many of us donate to to Goodwill or to other organizations that can give families a place to rest um, or to relax or to build memories as they are in a very traumatic time of their lives. What are what are some other ways that, that local congregations can get involved in um, the work of the immigration crisis that's taking place right now?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a great example of what the Whites do there in the Raleigh area is phenomenal. And I think um, in addition to you know these uh, sort of advocacy efforts and, and, and what that might mean, uh, I think drawing nearer, actually being in community and, and hands-on ministry is so important because there's so much fear and ostracization of this population that uh, that to me, uh, what I've seen already, has been very impactful. It's amazing to see folks going out to airports and welcoming refugees and immigrants, and so I would certainly encourage that from churches, if they're in your area, definitely look at the Wyatts and their ministry. Um, Lucha Ministries, L-U-C-H-A in Fredericksburg, Virginia, Greg and Sue Smith or CBF field personnel. If you're in that area, look up their work and support it. Um, in Texas at the Baptist University of the Americas, there's a group called the Isaac Project, which is doing amazing work that um, churches and other nonprofits can actually Uh, become recognized and accredited sites and individuals to help folks through whatever legal means and avenues available to help them adjust status to become uh, um, either probably usually a um, legal permanent resident or something like that. Uh, So that can be done by people who aren't attorneys. And so there's actually a lot that churches can do. Excuse me, and look at... So look at the ISAAC project. There's a lot the churches can do. Uh, the ISAAC project at VUA, ISAAC is, is a good, good thing to do. Um, that that might lead to uh, some more opportunities. Certainly, again, contact the the nonprofits and ministries in your local town that already do this work and see what's needed. Um, a great example for churches is ESL, uh, Teaching english to recent arrivals possibly even um, uh, citizenship classes for people who are are trying to pass the test and become a citizen these are things that a lot of churches provide and it may be that your church can provide volunteers to an existing uh, ministry somewhere else or that that that's a a needed ministry that needs to be started Uh, those are very hands-on and as far as advocacy goes i think that There are a few people and organizations that are doing this well that are sensitive to the the point of view of faith communities and Christians in particular. One of them is Evangelical Immigration Table and you can find their website very easily. And that's a very broad group of uh, evangelical Christians that all come to the same place on this issue, um, starting with scripture and that are working together for policy change. Another one is a group called the National Immigration Forum. They have a coalition called the Bible's Badges and Business Coalition, and that's an interesting group of faith leaders, law enforcement and business leaders coming together on the same place for this issue. And then as I mentioned earlier, Bread for the World, if you go to their website, you can find more ways to be an advocate on this issue as well.
0: Mm, That's great stuff. We have a a local congregant as well. Uh, If you're looking to go across denominational lines, uh, he works with the Episcopal Migration Ministry. Um, He is a coach, so he works with families uh, for three months to help them transition into areas. Uh, You know, here's how you pay your bills. Here's how you pay your bills online. Uh, Here's a great way to build a resume in this area. Here's some of the jobs that are available. So there's just some really practical ways that people can get involved besides um, just sitting there wondering what they can do. Um, Absolutely. You've given some great organizations, are there any great resources that you would recommend for people to read?
1: I would say that um, if they want a good understanding of what's really current and what's going on right now, uh, the National Immigration Forum website has summaries of the recent executive actions that are pretty easy to read to understand exactly what they mean and, and why it could be problematic, as well as the BRIDGE Act, the piece of legislation that we're hoping uh, uh, can move forward. And I think those would be um, very quick, uh, kind of up to date sort of things. There is a great book called Welcoming the Stranger by Matthew Sorens and Jenny Wang, H W A N G and S O E R E N S. And Matthew works with World Relief, which is another great organization. I think they're the largest refugee resettlement organization in the US. And so um, that, that book is the type of thing written by, you know, both very committed Christians, looking at both scripture, uh, looking at history of this country and immigration and current practice um, that can be uh, very helpful for folks and the type of thing that maybe a Sunday school class or a book club at the church could work through.
0: This evening, this has been great. I think really practical for, for our congregation. So thank you for your time.
1: Oh, you're welcome. It's great to be here. I'll, I'll mention uh, one other, uh, and that's uh, Ethics Today, or e- Ethics Daily is another uh, organization that has a lot of good resources, including a, a documentary called Gospel Without Borders. So thinking of film as another good way to introduce this sort of thing to churches maybe without a uh, full book story. story. Uh, that's another thing I just wanted to mention before we close. So thank you for the opportunity. It's been great talking with you.
0: Thanks for joining this week's episode, and thanks again for the Center for Congregational Health for being our sponsor. Again, you can visit them at healthychurch.org. You can find more information about CBF and CBF Church Start initiatives at cbf.net churchstarts. We also have our Church Starts writing stories each and every week to tell you about innovative work they are doing, lessons learned from church starting. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, CBF Church Starts.